asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. <clears throat> AT&T connects an O to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're discussing crazy rich millennials, rising rents, and a shady way to pay for college. Welcome to How to Money Industries. <laughs> what if that's how we always started our show? <laughs> I'm glad it's not. Uh, this is our Friday flight. It, it, by industries, it's just me and Joel. Like, like there's no one else here. There's no corporate uh, <laughs> conglomerate that uh, is, is like uh, orchestrating our every move. No, like no, no. Yeah, it makes me think of Stark Industries. Like, <laughs> like we're developing some high tech. Uh, I know you're into the superhero movies, but I don't watch them. So. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like with the rise of the different shows, um, I think there are more people coming on board because they can get behind watching, you know, sitting down for 30 minutes or 40 minutes watching a show, kind of getting pulled into the universe as opposed to sitting down and watching some action flick, you know, where I feel it's like just we, like robots. And the stuff. time we live in now, though, it's like the only thing being made is Marvel stuff right now. Like, I feel well, like the, the, a lot of the other studios have no other movies shut exist. Down. Yeah, seriously. But I'm glad that that is actually a part of our world here. A lot of those shows are being filmed actually here in Atlanta, which is kind of cool seeing some of those locations uh, pop up in my entertainment. But Joel, enough about that. Uh, this is our Friday flight episode where we're going to cover the news and how it pertains to our money, 
how it pertains to your money. And Joel, actually, before we hit record, you and I were talking about uh, property taxes. <laughs> Do you want to tell people? My favorite thing to talk oh about. Oh my gosh. I can't think of anything more like boring and grown <laughs> up than property taxes, right? Because when you're younger, you think, oh, have you seen home prices? Or, oh, what, what kind of finishes are you going to get in your, in your new kitchen? <laughs> like, are you going to get the tile backsplash? It's more about the actual physical structure of the house. And of course, you and I, we're going to talk about the most boring aspect of homeownership, which is property taxes. Yeah, you know you're a geriatric millennial when, <laughs> when you're talking about property taxes. And uh, so that's, I feel like that's what my friends and I talk about now. That's it what you is. and I talk about, stuff it's, like that. It's those hidden costs of homeownership. And we want you to be aware of them, though. Exactly, because in a lot of places uh, where people live, you can fight back if your assessment came in too high. And Matt, one of the things that uh, we can do here in the state where we live in Georgia is it might even make sense to challenge your property tax assessment, even if it hasn't come in too high. Yeah. Uh, and the, the crazy interesting reason why is because... Even if you just show up before where we live, they have a board of equalization, a board of your peers that hears your case. And, you know, hopefully you can mount a case that uh, that your property taxes are too high and they will lower them. Yeah. But even if they don't lower your property tax bill, just by the mere fact that you showed up, uh, they will at least lock in that rate yes. for three years. And that in and of itself is a big win. Absolutely. Yeah. So it never hurts to ask. This is one of those instances where just even asking for like the nice guy discount or the nice girl discount, it's like, well... Maybe this uh, assessment is actually accurate, but the ability, at least here in Georgia, to lock in that assessment for multiple years to come is uh, a huge advantage when it comes to the amount that is going towards your mortgage payment every single month. Because, you know, a part of that payment is your escrow and your escrow is mainly made up of property taxes, at least where we live. Our property taxes in Atlanta are pretty high especially given the, the increase in home values that we've seen. And so this is definitely a good reason to take a second look at that property tax assessment that you may have received recently. But Joe, let's go ahead and get to the, some of the different stories we're going to talk about today. There was this recent story from Bloomberg about millennials being the new wealthiest generation. Man, this, this article is a stark contrast to, I think, literally everything else that the media puts out about folks in their mid-20s to upper 30s, us geriatric millennials, like you <laughs> mentioned. So much out there has been written uh, how millennials are behind when it comes to being smart with their money, right? When it comes to saving and investing, even home ownership, and how student loans have made it seemingly impossible to build wealth. But Allison Schrager, she had this interesting article about how some of those stories are actually overblown. It turns out that millennials are in just as good of a financial position as previous generations at this point in their lives. Allison argues that while millennials do have more debt, mostly due to those student loans, uh, they also have more financial assets, largely due to us investing regularly in workplace retirement accounts. So that's a huge win. And she also says that because of our higher levels of education, that millennials are going to earn more money as they continue on in their careers, uh, more money than our parents did. And so... I think that, you know, that kind of remains to be seen, uh, but a lot of that does make sense. But then again, too, like, you know, she, she titled it the wealthiest generation. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if that's the case. Like maybe by the time we are the oldest generation and our wealth has continued to grow, but you can't argue that right now we're the wealthiest generation. No, but I think, yeah, yeah she's trying to compare us to our cohort when they were our age, basically. Exactly. And I think she makes some good points. One of the things though that we don't have is some of those safety nets, like a pension for retirement that right. a lot of some of those other generations 
had that weren't necessarily baked into their financials in their 30s, um, but they were something that they knew they had coming to them later on in life. Um, but I think she does make some good points. And I do think that the situation for millennials isn't as dire as maybe some other people have made it seem. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on, Matt. And one thing I know for sure is that many of us aren't wealthy enough to eat out apparently though even even though uh, millennials have a lot of money eating out's gotten more expensive yeah or if you are wealthy maybe you won't be wealthy for long if you continue <laughs> if you can... to eat out right <laughs> exactly and axios had a great story about uh, the sticker shock when we're going out to eat there are a few things influencing this um, one the worker shortage has affected restaurants in a big way right being short-staffed or having to pay workers more money is a reality for a whole lot of restaurant owners some have even had to kind of change the way they do business right now in order to cope. And and two, the the price of food is going up for restaurants as well. And also many restaurants still aren't operating at full capacity. They're still making sure that some tables, you know, that they're not opening those up for seating um, because of social distancing. And so, yeah, this means that profits are harder to come by right now, but a lot of customers are coming back in a big way. Those folks have some extra money and they miss eating out. So that's the good news. Uh, But at the same time, prices are rising. It is getting more expensive to go get that meal at your favorite local restaurants. And it depends on which restaurant you go to, how much of an increase you're going to see. Yeah, man. I think maybe the worst case scenario is if you're spending all of your money at the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, you're, you're <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not, that's not me. No. Yeah. I shouldn't throw shade. You got the at, wrong uh, guy. All right. At, at the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, by the way. I don't think I've been since uh, we, high school. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like we pri- primarily focus on like more local restaurants. One of our local barbecue places that we love, they have instituted this 20% fee and, and that's with them not even being full service, right? Like you have to kind of go up in person, order, sit down. With that, there's this 20% fee on the ticket. What are your thoughts on that? So I get it. I understand that. And a lot of restaurants are kind of going that route. I would prefer to see just the actual prices on the menu go up. And I think it feels a little bait and switch when I get up there and I see the price of the brisket sandwich that I'm going to order and it's 10 bucks. And then they're like, by the way, there's this 20% fee. And I'm like, I just placed my order. I didn't realize it was going to... That was a $12 sandwich. Yeah, exactly. And I would rather just see that it was a $12 sandwich, honestly. So I'm Hmm. not a huge fan of the fees. I'd rather see people raise their prices, but I I get it. it Honestly, it makes me think about the bonuses that people are being paid when they're getting hired, right? Like, because once you raise wages, it's difficult to kind of walk that back. And I think that's why maybe restaurants are doing this, right? They're willing to charge a fee because, hey, things aren't normal right now. Uh, But at least the way I see it, I'm okay with those fees because what that tells me is that at some point when things go back to normal, we will drop this fee as opposed to if it's like a $12 sandwich, it's like, well, is that just how much it's always going to cost now? Or at some point, is it going to get more affordable? Because I doubt that that's going to be the case. Right. Hopefully hopefully those fees are temporary. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so while prices are rising at your favorite local restaurant in all likelihood, they aren't rising at the grocery stores to nearly the same degree, at least not yet. There are some exceptions, though. Prices on a few items have climbed quite a bit, like uh, like prices on meat, fresh fruit, on veggies as well. Basically, all the things that are actually good for you yeah. <laughs> and not processed are costing more. But the Wall Street Journal had a great article about what grocery stores are doing to avoid increasing prices, uh, at least for the time being. Shrinkflation is one of those ways. We, we talked about that uh, recently, I think a couple months ago. But package sizes are continuing to get smaller while the prices remain the same because uh, it takes consumers a bit to catch on to the tactic of, oh, I'm getting less product, though I'm paying the same amount. We are more price conscious than 
than we are weight conscious or, or quantity conscious, right? But fewer and smaller discounts are another tactic that is uh, being employed to combat inflation. Sales flyers, they, they may, may not look as promising <laughs> as they used to. There aren't nearly the kind of discounts that we have seen in years past. Uh, some brands are also actually reducing the variety of what they sell uh, also in order to cut costs. And I'm actually kind of okay with that because we've all heard of the, uh, the paradox of choice, right? Where we have so many options available to us. And the idea is that the more options we have, the better decisions we can make. And the happier we'll be. And the happier we'll be. But here in America, because of the, the I mean, the quantity of decisions that we have uh, and the options that we have available to us, it actually doesn't benefit us. And so this is honestly precisely why one of the reasons I love Aldi is because there aren't many options. <laughs> right. There's one ketchup. <laughs> yes. And like, that's the ketchup I'm going to get. Exactly. And yeah, not a whole bunch of different sizes or different brands. It's one ketchup. And yeah. Like, so guess I know what I'm getting. I am okay with different uh, brands and companies out there kind of streamlining cutting free some of those products that aren't doing so well. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's important, though, to be aware of this phenomenon when we're shopping, because, yeah, some of our listeners might need to increase their grocery budget just a little bit, especially if you, you still want those fresh veggies, which are good for you. Yeah. But yeah, th- there are other ways that you can fight back, too, besides just raising the budget and just assuming that you're going to have to pay more at the grocery store. Buying fewer name brand items and more generic ones is a great way to lower your grocery bill. And man, we, we, Matt, we did an episode I don't know, a few months back on generic items. Generic items have come a long way in store brands. They can save you a whole lot of money, but most of the times uh, consumers can't tell a difference in the taste either. So yeah, I, th- I think that's a surefire way to save money. Although uh, lately you've been eating the the Aldi Doritos over there at your desk. Exactly. Generic Doritos, Dude, bro. They're terrible. I've, I've had those before. No, they're not bad. I do not think they're good at all. Listen, as an Aldi shopper, you need to hush your mouth, okay? <laughs> that's not right. You can't well, criticize. Hey, I love Aldi, but just avoid any Dorito product. No, that. they're fine. They're okay. fine. I'm just want the Clancy's <laughs> fake Dorito chips are fine, people. Let's take a vote. If you have, if you want to weigh in, let us know what you think about the Aldi brand Doritos. Yeah, you can comment on this episode <laughs> on our website at howtomoney.com. Also, uh, where you shop makes a big difference. Aldi in particular, or Lidl, like shopping at those yeah. discount grocery stores are going to give you a savings boost immediately just by walking in the doors. Um, and then, yeah, even though the sales aren't going to be awesome right now, Matt, like you just said, stocking up on certain items that you know you're going to use when they are actually on sale can work in your favor oh, yeah. too, especially you know non-perishable goods. So just know that whether you're eating out or eating at home, it's going to cost more in all likelihood. Uh, so be aware and do your best to fight back where and how you can. Exactly. All right, Joel, let's talk about if you don't own a home, right? Earlier on, we touched on how the the rising values of homes has led to increased property taxes. Well, if you rent, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, But it all kind of comes around, right? It looks like rents are actually now starting to climb. Pandemic pricing, that that, that was sort of a thing when it came to the price of rent in many cities last year. Rents were were falling for a while, even as the home prices were, were rocketing upwards. But those discounts didn't last long. And in fact, while rents flattened out for, for much of last year, they're actually higher now than they would have been had the pandemic not even happened. And this You sound like a wizard. How do you know this, Matt? <laughs> well, yeah. Apartments List, they have run some projections and they've got these predictive models. We'll link to them in our show notes. Oh, okay. I thought you were just like pulling that out of no. nowhere. <laughs> uh, but if you're a renter, be aware that when your lease is up, your rent is likely going to go up too. Yeah, I found that 
fascinating because yeah rents have taken a quick turn a dramatic turn upwards and so yeah again just like we're talking about combating the rising prices uh, of food well people need to know what to do if they're renting how to combat you know those rising rent prices too sure and, and there are there are also ways to go about that and i think it's much easier if you actually rent from a mom and pop landlord if you rent from a nameless faceless apartment complex the likelihood that you're going to be able to save money on rent and fight that rent increase is unlikely. They've got their algorithms. They've got their rent price that they're handing out to everybody that lives there. And you're likely going to be hard pressed to get a discount if you decide to stick around. So uh, one of the ways though that you can attempt to get a discount is to offer to sign a longer lease. Landlords love certainty uh, and knowing that if you're a good tenant, you're going to be there for two years uh, as opposed to just one it gives some peace of mind and they're often willing to take a lower rent amount uh, for that certainty. So yeah, vacancy and turnover often represent big hits to their bottom line and they want to avoid that, right? But uh, to get the lowest price, you might ultimately have to move. In in a time of rising prices, you're going to have to be more flexible in order to keep your budget for housing in check. Sometimes you actually got to go down the street to another apartment complex or to another home in order to get the better deal that you aren't able to get uh, where you're currently staying. Yep. It almost always benefits our bottom line if we're able to be a little bit more flexible uh, in all areas of our life. But Joel, we've got several other stories that we're going to get to, including that new kind of sketchy way to pay for college, uh, plus the decline in cash. We'll get to those stories and more right after this break. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. They are committed to high ethical standards and even had to pass a rigorous exam before they could become a CFP professional. They offer financial planning and services that take a more comprehensive view of your financial and personal circumstances and are customized for your needs. Certified financial planner professionals can offer advice on a wide range of issues like reviewing your investment portfolio's allocation, handling an inheritance, rolling over a company retirement plan, building education savings, and so much more. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. 
Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we are back in. This is our Friday flight where we're covering the different headlines we came across this week. And Joel, it is now time for the ludicrous headline of the week. <laughs> I was trying to do my best robot impersonation there. People, people can't see your robot arms. As <laughs> I was doing them at the same time. Instead, you kind of sounded like a, I don't know, like a gremlin on this. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, or our ludicrous headline this week comes from CNBC, and it goes something like this. Many 401k investors don't use target date funds the right way. Uh, and I'll say we are fans of target date funds here at How to Money, even if they aren't, they're, they're not going to be our first choice, especially for young investors. Uh, but we are especially fond of the incredibly low cost target date funds uh, that you can get from institutions like Vanguard. But this article brings up uh, a good question, right? Like people aren't using them correctly. What does that mean? And so this article actually uses Vanguard information and they find that some people who invest in target date funds are also holding on to other funds as well. And the reason this is a problem is because target date funds are meant to be the only fund you hold if you choose to go in that direction because they are properly diversified in and of themselves. Sort of like an all-inclusive resort. You're not supposed to have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but hey, yeah, if you're paying the bartender for drinks at the all-inclusive resort... <laughs> You went astray. You did something wrong. <laughs> but even though like that is their intended purpose, we're actually okay with people holding a target date fund as well as other funds, but only if you're doing it properly. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Someone, Matt, who we haven't had on the show yet, but we should soon, is Paul Merriman. And, and he's done a lot of work. I've been following his work for years in the investing space. And he's actually found that holding a target date fund alongside one other fund, in particular, a small cap equity fund, is historically better for diversification and for long-term returns. So yeah, if you want to take the easiest approach possible, holding a target date fund uh, with a date closest to your likely retirement date and owning nothing else is your best bet. It really is like this set it and forget it way yeah. to invest, right? And it's it works for most people because most people don't care enough. Uh, they want the easy button. That is the easy button. But one of the downsides of target date funds for younger investors is that they actually might be 
too conservative. Yes. And basically, it's too much bond exposure yeah. for folks, mm. specifically for folks under the age of 40. So yeah, if you like target date funds, but you want more equity exposure, putting a good chunk of your money into that target date fund, and then uh, some of the rest of your money into a small cap value or a total stock market fund could be the perfect pairing, right? Because yeah, target date funds, they're ultimately one of the best investing inventions of all time. Like besides the invention of the index fund, target date funds are probably yeah. the best invention of the last 50 years. But yeah, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing approach. And I think when you read a headline like that uh, and then you dig in and you're like, well, you know, some people can own a target date fund and another fund. You're not using it wrong. You're not doing the wrong thing. But I will say I do understand what they're getting at because target date funds in and of themselves can be a great one-stop shop. Yeah, going back to the the all-inclusive resort analogy, maybe, yeah, if you want to tip the bartender, that might increase uh, the quality of your drinks. Maybe it makes you feel better about just kind of ordering the same drink every time <laughs> you show up or something like that. I don't You're know. Like, live a little. We got some variety but, here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but it all comes down to that conservative nature. Joel actually crunched the numbers, right? And so someone who's 30 years old right now, they might be invested in a the 2055 fund, right? If, if they're going to retire around them being 65 years old. And if you look at the past 10 years of the performance of that fund, you're looking at 133% growth uh, over 10 years, which is pretty great. You know, you're looking at over 13% uh, annually. However, if you look at VU, right, uh, the S&P 500 ETF by Vanguard, over that exact same period, you would have seen an increase uh, of 237%. Woo! And so, That's yeah, 13.3%, 13 that sounds pretty good annually, but 23.7, man, that sounds... That sounds a lot better. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the the one negative we we have when it comes to target date funds is that in particular for, for people in their twenties and thirties, yeah, you're missing out on some of that additional equity exposure, which can be crucial, especially in those early investing years. Yeah, and even too, if you study the charts and you look at them, I mean, they look identical. It's just that there's more upside to the VU because it's not being weighed down by those bonds, uh, and that's a risk I think especially young investors can afford to take. But let's keep moving, Joel. Some folks out there might be wondering if graduate degrees are worth the money. We, we talked earlier in the episode about how millennials might become the wealthiest generation in part because of the fact that they're the most educated generation. But that doesn't necessarily mean uh, more education always pays off. Uh, the Wall Street Journal, yet again, they featured a great article about graduate degrees and how many don't provide the payoff that they promise. And one of the examples they gave in that story was that incomes post-graduation are very similar for both Cal State Long Beach students as well as USC students. But here's the thing, the uh, USC education costs two and a half times more money. Wow. Uh, yeah, they, they included this this helpful tool. Worth checking out if, if you're someone who is considering going back to school. Make sure to check out that debt to income ratio tool before you pick the school that you're going to attend. Uh, and you can punch in different degree programs as well because you don't always get what you pay for. I feel like this is also another instance of students uh, taking a more consumeristic approach to higher education, yeah. right? As they should be. Once we have those numbers and if we can figure out yeah, what the return on this investment is going to be, it's going to help us make a better decision. And, and I think that Wall Street Journal, Journal tool is going to be really helpful for a lot of people who are considering getting an advanced degree. Uh, it's going to really help guide them towards a school maybe that's going to be a better choice than another one, which might cost a whole lot more and have 
essentially the same payoff. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you kind of took the positive side of the consumeristic approach, <laughs> which is like looking for where you can find value. Yeah. Right. But I was thinking more from like the, from the standpoint of like, I'm just going to spend a lot of money and that's going to solve my problems because that's the, uh, that's, that's kind of like the flip side of the coin. And oftentimes when you're looking at schools that cost more money, I think that's the mentality. You just they, assume... they think that more is better. If it yeah. costs more, it's going to be better. And people often think that like, well, I don't have to put in the hard work of networking or interning while I'm in school because they're counting on the, the name of the school, right? They're counting on the pedigree. If that's uh, on my diploma, I'm going to be good. Exactly. Well, when in reality, that's not the case. And oftentimes, if you kind of, <laughs> you can save a lot of money by going to a more affordable school. And either way, you're going to have to put in the work in order to, yeah, see that income go up post-graduation. Yeah. And then less of a millstone around your neck if the amount of debt that you're graduating with is a whole lot less. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, th- we definitely highly recommend that tool. We'll link to it in our show notes. And just, yeah, doing your due diligence when it comes to how much you're paying for that advanced degree, figuring out what the cost uh, of that education is going to be in advance of applying to that school is is crucial to know whether or not it's going to pay off in the way that you want it to. And, and Matt, so much of, of whether an advanced degree is going to pay off or not also depends on whether or not someone's going to have to take on debt or not in order to get that degree, right? The uh, If you're able to pay with cash, then you're not paying interest on top of student loans. And so the likelihood that that degree is going to pay off goes up. And we don't think student loans are the worst thing in the world, but moderation is key, right? We yeah. don't, don't want people getting in over their head when it comes to student loan debt. And since most people don't actually save up the cash to pay for their education, another way that people are funding higher learning now is through something called income share agreements. But this way of paying for school has its own problems too. We're actually starting to see more lawsuits about these alternatives to loans. And MarketWatch had this really great story about that this week. Um, so, so what are they? Well, instead of taking on debt in the form of loans to fund your education, you agree to pay a portion of your salary for a finite period of time post-graduation. Some agreements <laughs> will take as much as 25% of your salary for like the three years after you graduate. And then they might even want a, a smaller chunk for the three years beyond that. Mm. So six years post-graduation, you're paying uh, a large portion of what you're making. Uh, instead of having student loans stick around, you're paying more of your money for a shorter period of time. But basically, it sounds nice to not be taking on loans, but the end game for many is similar, and for some it's worse. Yeah, this is definitely an instance where we want the buyer to beware. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, it could because it could work out, right? Like there are certain benefits that come with these ISAs, these income share agreements, because like what I like about them is that in particular when the schools are offering them, like the schools are putting the, the their money where their mouth is, right? And so and they're saying that we are willing to take on some risk, knowing that you are going to get a great job, yeah. and we believe that this is going to make sense for everybody, and it incentivizes the school, I think, to do a good job yes, helping absolutely. you find employment. Absolutely. And from the borrower's standpoint, like you get to mitigate some risk because who knows in two or four years or whatever, like when you're done with that degree, who knows what kind of shape the economy is going to be and who knows what that specific industry is going to look like. And so I do like that, but just know that it comes at a cost and make sure that you read all the fine details because like you said, Joel, like they can get even worse in some instances. Uh, there are some students uh, that are being told after they've agreed to their first ISA, 
that they need to sign up for another one in order to be able to graduate. Oh, yeah, that yeah. first one, that covers the, the <laughs> yeah. first year and a half of school, but it doesn't cover the second year and a half Bait of school. and switch, yeah. 100%, man, yeah. And then that extends the years in which you have to pay a huge chunk of your future salary to the company who is servicing that ISA. And so these income share agreements also don't have the same protection as federal student loans, so that's kind of another uh, con when it comes to ISAs. The, the current pause in payments that we're seeing with, with federal student loans, that's great, right? Well, folks, with an ISA, aren't eligible for that. So yeah, be careful before deciding that an ISA is a better option for you than a traditional student loan because it could be worse. That's true. Matt, let's get to our last uh, subject. It's the last story that we want to cover uh, on this, today's episode. We talked in depth about our love for credit cards on Wednesday's episode. Love them. And we do. We like them a lot. And uh, yeah, a new Atlanta Fed survey found that only 18% of payments were done with cash in 2020. That's down from 26% uh, in 2019. So cash seems to be quickly losing its luster. Yeah, we saw that one coming too. Yeah, right? well, and COVID only accelerated <laughs> the downfall of cash, right? And so, yeah, since you and I, we think that credit cards are the superior form of payment for many reasons. If you want to know why, go back and listen to Wednesday's episode. We talked about it in depth. Uh, but yeah, this is great news in our opinion, but credit cards aren't all upside. We, we, we want to be able to talk about both sides of the coin, right? And investment sure. writer Jason Zweig, he had a great article in the Wall Street Journal last week about the downsides of frictionless digital payments, whether we're talking about paying with your phone or even just, you know, uh, inserting your credit card and paying. But cashless transactions essentially eliminate the pain of buying things. And basically, we don't feel the purchase to the same extent, right? We're, we're not handing over physical money to a cashier, and it just kind of makes it easier for us to spend. And so, yeah, th- there are some downsides to using uh, digital payments or credit cards because it might make us spend more freely than we otherwise would. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's important for us then to find different ways to make spending more painful while still using the best method of payment that we believe in, credit cards. Exactly. You want to increase that friction. And essentially, we, we want you to find different ways to become like a credit card masochist, <laughs> right? Uh, you, you want it to hurt a little bit. Even just the act of, of writing down just every punching purchase. yourself in the face every time you make a credit card purchase. It's the perfect way to do that, like right? Fight Club. <laughs> Edward Norton just like put on one of the best performances of him, you know, beating himself up. <laughs> so good. But uh, I was saying, even just like writing down on a notebook, some of the different purchases that you've made that day, this old school way can kind of create that all important understanding that you have just spent real money as opposed to numbers, you know, changing on maybe your phone or on your computer screen. Even paying your credit card bill off weekly can have a similar effect as opposed to just waiting until the end of the month. You're like, oh, yeah, you're more cognizant of how much you spent in a week versus a month. And you're, yeah, I feel like Over that. Over the course of a month, you just lose track. It's yeah. like, I mean, I literally sometimes forget. I'm like, oh, yeah, like we went out to that nice restaurant <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we, we shouldn't be going out again this night, you know, for, for date night. Maybe we should do something a little bit more on the cheap. And, you know, something else to consider, too, is cash only spots. And so not even taking your credit card with you to some of the different places where you might be tempted to spend more than you should. So it's it kind of takes some self-awareness here. Yeah. But, like leaving your credit card at home when you're going to your favorite clothing place and only bring yes. in a $50, right? Exactly. Or, or like limiting yourself in that way. Or not bringing any money. <laughs> because it's like, okay, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to process what I've seen and what I want to purchase. But feeling the pain of paying, regardless of the method of payment, is important. And here's the thing, too. Studies show that it can actually increase the satisfaction that you feel uh, with the items that you buy. It, it kind of makes me think of planning for a vacation. When you've invested the time, you're emotionally invested with that vacation, right? Like you've put in hours 
researching destinations, maybe some different trails you're going to hike, like looking up cool Airbnbs. When you've done all of that, you are going to be more excited about that trip compared to if maybe there was a trip that was just planned for you and you're just showing up, right? To some folks, maybe that, that sounds nice to not have to plan it, but I guarantee that the person who has put in the time, they're going to enjoy that at a deeper level. They're going to have a deeper level of satisfaction than they would had they not invested any of that effort into planning it. So again, for you, if that means writing down transactions, for me, it means literally copying and pasting those transactions from my credit card statement over into Excel. So I see every single purchase, but determine what it is that's going to work best for you to make sure that you stay on track with your spending. Agreed. Yeah. I don't want to lose any of the benefits of paying with a credit card, but I also don't want to succumb to any of the pitfalls that can come with paying with a credit card. You so, don't want to get carried away. Exactly. Yeah, man. And I want to enjoy my purchases. And so I got to find a way to feel the pain, right? Like the, <laughs> the proper amount of pain. So, all right, that, that's going to do it for uh, this week's Friday flight. We hope you have a great weekend. We hope to see you back here on Monday for an Ask How to Money episode. That's right. So Joel, that's going to be it for today. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.